Um, but we're, we're very ambitious with our uh, plans. We've set ourselves very high um, you know, achievement goals of what we would like to achieve as a festival, um, which even when our consultant was helping us, they said, oh, you have just been too ambitious. We said, well, we're going to do it anyway, because um, why not push yourself? So that's what we do with the festival. We just try and always are setting ourselves goals. We spent three years trying to get our access tickets online, and we did. So we can sell, and now we've put that onto the Perth Theatre Trust to do that through the whole consortium. So that took myself and our ticketing manager at the time, spending a couple of years just working out how we can do that. So the fact that everyone said, no, it's too hard, we're not going to do it, we took didn't take that as an answer. We said, no, but we want to. Why should one person have a booking experience and someone else have to do a very different booking experience? We want everyone to have the same experience. You can be inconvenienced and sit on a phone for a long time, you can go on a website, you can go in on person, etc. So that's what our focus was, that was our first key focus, and we go on from there. But the questions I have been given <laughs> is, um, so what is the function of various methods of making work more accessible? What do they cost to deliver currently, and who pays for them? So I'm going to just run through, please shout out if you've got any questions, or if I'm just boring you, feel free to just wave at me to stop talking at any point. Um, but running through, I will say that as the festival, we do pay for most of our services. Um, so as the presenter or the producer, we pay for it. Obviously, it does come down to who is presenting the work, who's got the financial box office risk, and all of those fun things that everyone always talks about. But as a general rule, we want to make sure our shows are accessible. So we generally, as a blanket rule, we will pay for most of these services that we're adding in. And when we say access services, I'm meaning more like Auslan interpreting, audio description, captioning, um, relaxed performances and things that go around that versus maybe a venue which should already have you know, the wheelchair accessible or have assistive listening systems, etc. So um, diving right in, so Auslan interpreting, um, we use Auslan Stage Left uh, with the festival. We have worked with a few other companies, but we found that's what our preference is of our patrons, so that's who we use. Um, and look, the cost can be from two hundred and fifty dollars to you know two and a half thousand dollars, really coming down to what the show is, because you're paying for someone's time. They have to learn that script in advance. Um, you know, we've had some amazing online interpreters for Court this year, which was um, Jeannie Williams and Guy Gauss, and a lot of that was in Nuna. So they had to learn the songs to be able to then do the online interpreting while Gina was singing. So that took a lot of prep work. <laughs> um, so you know you can understand that the amount of time that they put into that versus maybe if I had an Auslan interpreter now, they would just be having to roll with whatever I'm saying. Um, and that was just good luck to them and not a lot of prep work that can go into that. So there is a, quite a bit of difference. You may have seen from 2020, Highway to Hell, um, the two mics that Auslan interpreted that went viral. Like, <laughs> They were just, there was just so uh, much positive press around that as well. Um, and you know, and even um, the lovely whistleblower that we did this year um, and the complexity around a show that is, you know, not scripted and how that works as well. So really it comes down to the complexity of the show, the duration of the show as well. Um, but we always try and engage with offline interpreters. It's something that um, when we're looking at the stats, and we were just chatting about this before, we may not have high stats on people attending Auslan interpretive performances. However, that's only us knowing that they've booked into a seat that we've reserved for them. So 
as an Auslan speaker, you may decide, well, I'm just going to book here. I, you may decide you don't want to book into where I've booked. I've said these are the best seats for you. So we work with our Access Advisory Committee and they have assisted us in standardising Auslan seating for theatres. So if we said our Auslan interpreters on prompt side, they've said these are the best seats. Your Auslan interpreters on opposite prompt. Before that, that had not been standardised across any venues in Perth. So it was really hit and miss of where those seats were. And we got some very negative feedback, which we took on board, and then moved those seats. But you wouldn't know, unless your uh, like audience are very willing to give you feedback, you're not gonna know that maybe you've taken advice that the best seats are on the diagonal near the back. Now that's actually not the best seats, but that's what we used to work on. And now we know that the best seats, if they're on prop side, is, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And we pass all that information on to the venues because we think it's really important. Anything we learn at the festival, we always pass on because we think, well, we shouldn't hold on to this knowledge. Like, we want to share it with everyone. Um, so, yeah, so with Auslan interpreting, it is quite, I guess, in a way, looking at cost-effective versus captioning, for example. Um, captioning is a very intense and very costly experience um, to do that one. Um, I will just mention, though, that some people have been unstuck by saying, oh, we're offering captioning, therefore we don't need to offer Auslan. Um, people that speak Auslan don't necessarily learn English and don't necessarily read English. So that's something that you shouldn't just assume by offering captioning of a performance means that Auslan speakers can actually read that. So it's very different grammar if anyone's done basic Auslan. There's very different grammar structures, so I know some particular companies in Perth have actually been caught out in social media very loudly <laughs> about that, very, very loudly, um, by saying, oh, well, we don't need to offer Auslan because there's captions. So just something to consider as well. But since we're talking about captions, so captioning, so that could be surtitle screens, that could be above or below subtitle screens on, the, um, on stage, that's an open caption. Closed caption, you're on an iPad or you're on your phone or some sort of device. So open caption, obviously very visible, everyone in the audience can see that, but then, you again, you may not get those statistics of people booking in because you don't need to be handing a device over to someone. But saying that, I've got the captioning device app on my phone, you can download it on your phone as well and you can see anywhere in the house. Um, we have found after talking to our patrons about captioning, um, most of the patrons that book in for captioning for us are actually elderly and have hearing loss. So they've gone to that stage of their life where they maybe can't hear as well as they used to and they find it useful to have that captioning device just to assist them. The highest uptake we've ever had is shows that where the, um, they're not mic'd. So when we did the Gabriels here a few years ago and the cast were not mic'd, oh, such a demand for devices. Or we did um, the Barbershop Chronicles. Strong accents, I could not hand out those devices fast enough. So it really comes down to, you know, if you had a bit of hearing loss and then you add an accent or you add people not being mic'd and not being able to hear clearly, or the venue doesn't have assistive listening to be able to augment the sound if they're wearing hearing aids, that's when I found captioning really assists with those patrons. Um, Can I just ask which venues in Perth do have assistive listening? Uh, that is a good question. So most of the venues have it in some form, so the Perth Theatre Trust venue, so that being this venue, Perth, uh, State Theatre Centre, Perth Concert Hall, um, His Majesty's Theatre, but some of them only have it in selective seats. So it's really important to note that. Most venues that are like town halls, etc., do not have them. Now, the festival actually own our own audio description and a system listening set up, set up, so I can bring it in anywhere. Like I could bring it in right here, right now, and set it up. 
So we do that, we take it into Government House Ballroom, we take it into our cinema, we take it anywhere we need to. I'm lending it to the Regal Theatre to do their AD for Adam's family. I lend it to the Magic at the moment because they're looking at buying a new audio description system. So there is that ability to take systems in, but most venues do have some form of augmentation, but it may not be that effective. So depending on the type of hearing aids as well. Good question, Sam. Um, so yeah, so with captioning, it can cost like, you know, on a standard show, it's around $2,500, $2,800 for a standard show. To, because again, you've got to have someone that's, you know, translating that script. And then they're sitting there live in Adelaide queuing that show, which I know sounds crazy. So you also need good internet and all of those kind of things that go along with it. Um, some alternatives we've done in the past, um, you know, you can have a PowerPoint that's queued if you're doing open captioning. It's like the opera have the subtitle screen and you have someone sitting side of stage queuing that. Obviously that doesn't work if you've got any form of ad-libbing um, because of course it's pre-scripted and you can't necessarily change. So if the show is non-scripted, that's you know very difficult to do. Um, we have also in the past had a show where it was a 90 minute show and only about two minutes of dialogue, one paragraph. So we printed that in advance. We had it available on our website, we had it available in the program. So we acknowledge that that is key information that someone may want to be able to read in advance and be able to, so we printed that because it's so small compared to the length of the show. Um, there are software alternatives. I'm sure everyone at some point's put on the captioning on YouTube and seen it sometimes hit and miss. Yeah, so there's a lot of software alternatives out there, but it's one of those things that you've really got to choose the right software. Um, we always choose to go with Captioning Studio, which is based in South Australia, because they deliver that you know, really good service. And yes, you do pay for that service, but you know it's going to be perfect. They can deliver with a show that's scripted, a show that's non-scripted. Um, we use them for our Writers' Festival this year in His Majesty's, and it was beautiful. We had one person on the screen, we had one person in, in real life, and they were like, not a problem, not a technical issue at all. So. I guess there's just different options, but obviously you do pay for quite a bit of a service there. And Sorry. Of course. Can I just ask, is there any sort of similar service for Oswald? Because that's something that I Technology advances all the time, but I think sometimes 
you know, you get stuck within Wi-Fi, but you know, reliable options, which is what we often go with. Um, cool. So audio description and tactile tours. Um, Look, really comes down to the venues. Perth Theatre Trust venues, they offer it as a service. They have the group of amazing volunteers um, and they will offer that at a very reduced rate because they're essentially just charging admin fees um, and they have their own systems. As I said, I'm currently, I lend my system out to His Majesty's while they're looking at buying a new system that's working for their venue. Um, but yeah, that can really be like, you know, between $400 and $2,000 really, coming down to again, what venue you're going into. Um, as a festival, we purchase gear that is completely port like portable, as in I can put it in any venue. Not that I can walk around doing a, a walking tour. Um, it's not that portable, but it is something I can just easily set up. So as I said, I set it up in Government House Ballroom. I set it up at our cinema, outdoor cinema, etc. So it's really easy. Um, and then you know, patrons, it's very subtle. So they're just wearing uh, something around the neck and a headphone and one ear. Um, your phone. So it's quite a, it doesn't impact on a show. I should have mentioned like closed captioning, for example, on an iPad, it can actually really impact on a show. And that's why our patrons uh, said they prefer open captioning because they felt really awkward. Also, they're doing this, which for people that are uh, listening in, looking down, looking up, looking He's down, looking, to up, be looking down at your screen, you accidentally click the button and then yeah, it goes yeah. white and then they freak out and they put it yeah. away. Um, I have learned, and I'm sure so people who have children will probably learn you can lock an iPad. They're actually going to say, how can you set up I have to learn how to do that and lock that, that app never set up. because yeah. the amount of patrons um, who are doing so it. So I'm just going to write and say, you know, Kat is planning to be there. And I think in terms of the kind of... One of the uh, positioning of the performers and some, you know, know kind of some of that direction is useful to have her there so that Taryn can kind of focus on the visual and the masks. Um, so I'm, I'm not actually going to have a conversation with her about not coming, you know, um, if she's sort of making the time to be there. Are you going to have a discussion about this? No. Yeah, she can come. So I'll, I'll just reply to that. As you can imagine, that can be quite difficult. It's very dialogue-heavy. Um, we did a show a few years ago that was in Spanish. That was audio described. So we had one the describer DCA has sent through. They want to put something in their Arts Matters publication about, about the hub. I forwarded an email um, to you. I just wonder um, if there's any quotes that we might want to include, um, maybe from the artist lab. Feedback. We don't have yet. I think we need quite soon because I just I've got a missed call from Karen asking about it. But yeah, if you get a. So for Mama Stitch this year, we didn't do it an audio described performance because you were sitting on a chair. Yeah, you don't move. You just were sitting on a chair chatting. But what we could do is attach her to an advance and explain what the set was or what was happening, what George was going to do, what the band was going to do, and then that's it. Then enjoy the show. Just So those kind of things are another alternatives where maybe you don't need a full audio description. Maybe you can just do a tactile tour or a brief in advance and going through them. So tactile tours are going through the sets or props or costumes key elements describing the stage. So you're really setting the scene so then when you go into the performance. It really comes down to just staff. Okay. So you're paying a staff pool really um, with that. So you know that really comes down to who your staff are. Um, but very minimal on a tactile tour. 
I mean, for any of the bigger, like the big theatres, for example, we did it here, we're just paying the front of house manager to come in and like an hour earlier on their call that you're already paying anyway. Yeah. So very minimal extra cost. And also just to, I guess, I don't know who might listen to this, if you really refer about stuff, closed open captioning and Auslan are intended for patrons who are deaf and hard of hearing. Yes. Or having suffering hearing loss yes. at the end of their life. Yep. And then, or at any point, go nice. And then audio description and tactile tours after visually mm -hmm. impaired patrons. Correct. Correct. Line of vision impaired. Yep. Do you want me to give you a break? And I've got an email from Mum, who <laughs> is an audio describer. She's very active in that space. And she couldn't come today, but she sent me an email that said, there's an app called Be On Air. She says, I know nothing else about it, but anyone with a bit of tech knowledge <laughs> should be able to set it up. There is an offer. Did you have a look at it? Having just looked, yeah, having read that email, it seems like it's 70 bucks a year to access the, um, it, yeah, it looks like a very simple app, free to download, but it asked me to pay once I started to try to broadcast the stream, mm -hmm. but it looks like you build a stream, you speak into it, and anybody else can then tap into that stream and listen. So that's what audio Yeah. So this is Mum's audience, so all of these tips are in terms of audio description. She says, the tips that I want to pass on are just that all the AGs who work for the Perth Theatre Trust do the work voluntarily. So there's a bit of a, just to go into that volunteer space, in Adelaide and in Melbourne, all the audio descriptors, descriptors are paid, so it's really only here and the Perth Theatre Trust that they're not paid. They're all generally retirees, so they're doing it for the love of it, but sometimes I feel a bit conflicted that they're not paid, so just putting that out there. Um, you can also hire um, some of them from Dada. Dada also has a, a service that you can purchase, although probably beyond all of our budgets. Um, she says there's a Facebook group called Audio Description Events WA if you want to see what else has been audio described. I know Mum has definitely popped people on so that they can listen to the audio description. I'm sure if you said, I've got to get to this show on that night and you wanted to just listen, you'd be more than welcome to. It's, it's great. It's really it's good. Hilarious. Really, she highly is. recommend. You can see where the performance genius came from. She also, like, I'm just wondering with the tactile tours, I've done them before. It's almost a skill any of us could do, actually. Mm -hmm. So I even wonder whether we could approach Mum to give us a briefing on it if we wanted to do that. I would love that. Um, maybe yeah. we can organise that as an action out of the hub so that we all have the skills to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so Mum is very willing and giving, is my other statement, even though she's not happy. I would second that, absolutely. <laughs> and that's the thing, uh, it is, I guess, as you say, um, we engaged Bridget and actually paid her because we said we need you to work every single show for a run and that's not fair to ask someone. Um, but obviously that's everyone's call. Um, but on that one, can I just want to jump in and jump on the back of um, that idea that we can do that because early in our journey with Sensorium, we kind of sort of had this feel like we have to all learn Auslan, we have to be really proficient, la la la. And we were working with a, with a a school and it was very early in our, in our, in our story and um, she, we, they, the school put us together with their expert around this whole area, which is across it all, and she came to our staff and she said, look, you guys are performers, you're actually doing this already. And we said, yeah, but that's fair. And she said, yeah, but as performers, you're not right now. <laughs> you know, she said, you are, you have, this is performing, so you can even be in, in the context, I'm not saying it's the same thing, 
is fantastic when it's a new work and makes it if you're considering it and that's also with us like we at the moment when we're budgeting so we're in budget times right now i'm budgeting for all the shows to have the access i'm not trying to then like put it on retrospectively it's one of those things that it's not going, oh, well, how much money have I got? What can I put on? It's like, no, this show should have these services, therefore this is the money I'm putting into the budget from the get-go. Obviously, very different for me to be able to say that. Um, I don't get final sign-off from what goes through or what doesn't, so I just get to put all the money in the budget and hope for the best. Um, but it is a different thing, again, if you think, well, I would like to offer X, Y, Z, how can I build that into the development? Can I build it in so there's the Auslan is pre-recorded and it's on a screen, or can I build that into the technology as we're going? Um, but yeah, especially like breakout spaces are becoming definitely a thing or a sensory deprivation area, etc. So having a safe space in a foyer that can be really vital for some shows, especially if they're quite overwhelming. Um, we had that request actually for Highway to Hell to create an area that maybe <laughs> to get away from the bands and all the noise, you know, which nearly impossible for that show but you know it could be something that's a lot more feasible for here you know being able to say look we've reserved a rehearsal room as a quiet space or i put up some auto poles and drapes at his majesty's theater in the exhibition area so that is the quiet area there etc so it is very possible whether it is a pop-up area or an actual dedicated room and space i know for example for wazo for their christmas concert which is now like the variety christmas concert as well as uh, it's a mixture in a blend they actually have tents and toys and a whole area that they create for kids that the kids can go to if they need to. So they've actually, under advice, have got all of that facilities that they offer for their patrons, um, which is something they've worked on over the years. So like obviously being Wazo, they used to just have the orchestra and now that they've mixed with variety during a full Christmas concert, they've changed the services that they offer. And something that you do as well, that part of whoosh is in what I've seen, but it's that plus a live stream of the show, so that if you are removing yourself, to, to, you're not missing out as well, and you keep that um, engagement with the performance, which I think isn't always feasible, but is a really wonderful addition to that kind of structure. Again, in terms of that feel of, of not retro feeling, uh, that, that show, um, I mean, we do something similar in all of our shows, but that show had a lot of tech involved, so one of our budget items was, um, which in some pre like existing venues they already have that set up and the show relay <coughs> is a stock standard thing that as you can see on the screen just there um one we prepared earlier so that could be something that's a stock standard maybe not as easy in a hall town hall etc yeah no i i i'm a um assistant front house manager at Stecky, etc yeah we actually put relays all set up and we also have the um, room for the audience, uh, it's the observation room, which we will, uh, if it's empty, allow patrons to go into if the show is particularly like, open. Usually with um, young kids with children, mm -hmm. if the show is, there's two, if the puppets are too scary, <laughs> and they still want a place to watch the show, but like be yeah. separated from that. Yeah. Also known as a crying room. Um, yeah. <laughs> observation room, cry. take that for babies or adults, whichever way you play it. <laughs> Colloquially, quite often called a crying room. Um, but State is one of those few places that actually still have it that's actively used. I know the Regal converted theirs into bathroom, you know, like people have different reasons. His Majesty's is just too old to have that sort of um, like an observation room that you can allow audience to go into. So it kind of comes down to the theatre and the age of that theatre as well. Yeah. 
And if you as an audience member are, just having worked in front of house, if you are like, feeling like overwhelmed, just talk to the front of the house group, because there is usually an option for you. Which can also be like, if you're having a coughing fit, like mm -hmm. no one wants to cough right now. <laughs> but you know, like if you're having a coughing fit or you just anything that could be irritating you. Last night I was uh, working crazy for you, which is the Waffle Show, and the haze was like getting someone to asthma. Now they had to step out and they could watch it outside, still engage with the show, but actually got some fresh air. Mm -hmm. So like, there's many options just generally for patrons and obviously always, as you say, talking to your front of house team because they'll be able to give people the best options and be able to help In terms of, of um, independent low, lower budget, I mean, you, you can actually do this stuff here. We, we sometimes are in agricultural boards, small mm -hmm. boards and stuff like as well as theatre venues, and the GoPro and the iPad will, mm -hmm. will work mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. same way, and it's not a big expense. that idea can be used as a bit of like a marketing ploy without actually telling anybody what is relaxed about it. So her biggest thing was actually um, if you are offering relaxed performances, you need to tell people what that means. Because in some shows, it might mean it is a relaxed performance, but I am still going to take all the house lights out because that cool special effect thing is not going to work. So like, you can still have a relaxed performance where you can still move around and you're welcome to make noise and you can eat during the shows, um, but FYI, all the lights are still going to go out. Um, so because there's so much variation in, in what they do, um, but yet one of the, this was a list of things that Jenny had put through, which was like moving around the space, being able to make noise, um, and the full audience knowing that it's mm -hmm. acceptable to make noise because also we can be like, you're allowed to make noise, but then if nobody knows that it's a relaxed performance, half of the like, audience don't know it's a relaxed performance and there's just one person making noise, they feel horrible. Um, and that was Yeah, that was um, How you're entering the performance space, being able to eat during the show, the light levels, no
worst you want to someone climb over me, like, like, you turn that off. Yeah. <laughs> Stop playing with your phone. Another um, really achievable one, I reckon, charity group on Broadway that, that kind of raised funds to make the mainstream shows have relaxed performances because the producers are all about the bottom line and they won't do them. So they fundraise specifically, you know, they have buckets of money obviously, um, they fundraise specifically to have these things. So they won't necessarily change the show, but they will tell you, you know, in The Lion King, in the second act, there will be a thunderstorm and it might sound like this and they will possibly add 10 to 15 minutes ahead of time. Yeah. yeah, I just wanted to jump on what you say about the social story. When I started to work with Sensorium, I thought I was something specifically for kids. Yeah. But I can't remember which project we work on. But someone said, actually, a lot of adults mm. want to know what's happened in the show yeah. before. They will have a lot of uh, apprehension. So yeah. it's not just for kids. I no, think it's a no, tool it's that true. it could be very useful yeah. even for any show or any audience. And we yeah. also sometimes make um, what they call a schedule, which is the same mm. sort of idea, but it's actually a physical thing. It looks like a bookmark. We just make them up ourselves and laminate them. 
and it literally has symbols of what's coming next in the show. So that if someone is having anxiety or, you know, often kids will, even my own kids when they were little, they're just kind of uncomfortable that they'll demand to go to the toilet even though they don't need to go, just to be able to get out of there. So sometimes you can actually uh, soothe someone by actually pointing out, we are here, you know, we've done this, this and this, we're here. It sounds a lot, but it's not really. It's just about, it's just another part of the in the, in the creation of the show um, that can make the It's, it's such a great because you know bush for example that's a, a sensor it's a stimulating show and there is there are alarms and there's red lights flashing and i think it, these kinds of modes really prove that i think there's this kind of i don't know yeah. myth about yeah. trying to make accessible work and then, then once you hit all the dots it's this quite calm lofty pleasant and everything just goes along <laughs> like this yeah. and then no one everyone's fine but maybe you don't have to but that's still great theater it's actually sure. what i make but this kind of is a, a management process for still being able to put stuff that's a bit loud or a bit surprising, but then letting people who aren't going to cope with that as a surprise totally. manage themselves. Can I ask a question, Frankie? Do you offer that to all of your audiences, the step-by-step guide? Yeah, every yeah. Single I, I mean, we just have it there. We have a range of things when you come. Like some stuff we're doing ahead of time, and maybe you might pop up to talk about that. But, um, that sort of stuff, we just have them there and then we can offer. Do you talk it through with them? No, no, we just say, would you like a schedule? If they okay. use them, they'll go, yes. <laughs> Otherwise, something will be blank. We obviously don't use it, so it's not something else that's yeah. there. But it's just there, it's just a bunch of bookmarks as part of our kit in the front house. And, um, there. and when we have a, a list of a guideline of, of for front house staff greeting people, one of the dot points on there. And we're happy to show you ours. I've also got the questionnaire um, and a copy of that autism the uh, guide. The guide, which mm -hmm. is a really interesting one. One of my favourite bits is it in it though is actually that not only does it ask you all the like super weird specific questions about like is there high pitch sounds, is there low drum sounds, mm -hmm. is there if one of them is literally, is there a balloon in your show? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> it's, it's a key trigger for a lot of people. Um, but actually, the very first question is, what are the positive triggers? What are, what are your audience members going to be excited about to come to see the show? Because a kid may not cope with alarm sounds, but maybe obsessed with robots. And so if there's a robot in the show, like they will sit through the alarm sound and it will be fine. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so yeah. it's, it's more than just about all the things which make your, your you performance, performance but, uh, inaccessible. It's about what makes it accessible. Yeah. No, sorry. Um, I was getting so about, uh, about um, Sam's point because um, I think it, it is really important as well as performances started to happen, it was very much about this sort of mitigating anxiety and, and we must keep everything calm and la la la. And, and actually, you know, our whole shtick is that all kids like getting excited. So it's actually about our job to work out how can we do stimulating things in a way that works for you. So if you have content that is, that is um, you know, potentially intense, I mean, they said to us with Bush, it's like, this is crazy. What are you doing this super, super stimulating show? But that was us posting. And we were at war. We thought maybe we're going to tip over into something that's not appropriate for that type of audience. But um, I think, uh, yeah, it's that point of how can I make 
what I have is work that we want to do that might be on the edge, how can I make that um, accessible? In, in the same way, like the first example of the was, you know, I still want people to come along to this potentially uh, intense experience, um, but if they want to, they know what they're getting into. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to go back to yes. the, the next one's web and booking. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really interested in this. Yeah, yeah. 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 so it was. The next point was accessible booking processes. Um, so, I mean, for us at the festival, um, we look at from the website, and is the website, you know, there's a website content accessibility guidelines that you obviously can follow. You can try and get a AAA rating, a AA rating, etc. Um, so, it's about how compliant you are. So, um, we aim for a AA um, compliant. So, it's just making sure, you know, can a reader read your website? Or you know, do your website have the ability to then click a function that then makes the text larger, or takes the contrast out, or removes the images, and all of those things. So you can customize, and you can look at some amazing websites out there that have all that functionality. But at the baseline, can, if I was using a reader, if I was blind or vision impaired, and I have a reader that goes on your website, can it navigate your website? Like, really basic. Can I actually follow that process through? Um, and if the answer is no, well then you've lost that audience member because they can't even access your website, let alone try and book a ticket. Um, so really with websites, I mean, that's we have website developers that do all of the hard yards for us, but there are some of those kind of key things of looking at, um, you know, can this text be read? Everything we put, so our brochure, we have, our brochure is obviously a hard copy thing that we offer, but then we also create an audio version. So I sit in a studio with um, students for two days and we audio record every single page of our brochure and then that is off <coughs> on our website. So if you went to a page about a show, you could then listen to it being read to you. Now, the mechanics of that is I sit in a studio with students and we read every page word by word and they read it out and we record it, we put it on the website. We do the same with anything that's Auslan interpreted, we get them to do an interpretation of the, again, the blurb of the show. Um, we'll also have it as a plain text, in, plain text version. A word, so it's in Word, it's not a PDF. If you don't save a PDF correctly, it can't be read. Every, you know how you can print to PDF, that then it and then removes all those markers out for readers. So it's those kind of really basic things, but always having everything offered in a Word version rather than just having it as a PDF. Um, so we offer our brochure in a few different formats so patrons can access those in different ways. Again, trying to get the information. It's all well and good to offer access service shows, but if people can't access that information to even know about the show, then, yeah, sorry. Sorry, just a clarification. When you say, um, yeah, uh, like, for readers, is that, like, for, like, audio descriptive readers? Like, or so if you're... Like, uh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, so if you were blind or vision, you can have an app or a reader that's then like reading the page out to you. I was say, you can have it up on your phone to do it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can get advice on all this stuff too, if you don't have resources at the festival, um, uh, from the Centre for Accessibility. Um, they have a website, and they're really big with the rating thing. They, we run a golden carrot. Which is, their whole thing is about giving ratings, it's not about being a punitive thing, it's about actually encouraging so they really big on the carrot, not the stick. So that's the idea that, that yeah. instead of beating a donkey with a stick, you give it a carrot to 
look at the Perth Theatre Trust website, find a Studio Art Centre, try and find that information. The most chances, if you're buying your ticket through the festival's website, you're already on our website, you're going to look at Studio Art Centre. You can see that these are the accessible seats, this is where the assistive listening is, there's a ramp here, this is the closest parking, this is the closest public transport. So that information, which is no cost apart from your time and finding that information out, but that's really important. And the next step we're looking at doing, and I'm pointing to Elliot this one, but we're looking at even creating, going one step further and maybe creating a video, like this is what the video, this is what the venue looks like. This is how you're going through. This is how you're gonna go from the car park into the venue or from here to here. Because it can be quite overwhelming. Um, you know, you walk into a venue and you're like, where are the toilets? Where am I going? Which level do I need to go to? It's all very overwhelming. There's so much signage that you don't, you're signage blind, you don't see anything, and you know, and you've got hundreds of people all piling around you. So those kind of things, just giving people that information in advance. Um, I had a really lovely patron um, send through an email this year just saying, thank you, clearly someone actually thinks about us. And I was like, oh, that's really nice, thank you. Um, for example, government house gardens. Now, it was all grass, and we really laid that out and said there's you go on grass, it's gravel paving, it's level, blah, blah, blah. So we actually laid out all this information for them. And she said, thank you, you made it easier for me to make a decision about my husband who's in a wheelchair, and if he can, because I can't push him up a hill. I can't, so, you know, I gave them that information, they obviously could clarify and ask us anything they needed to, but that information was there. Same as, you know, I'm not saying you can't come because you're in a wheelchair and it's grass. I am saying this is the information, you make a choice. Same as Borno Wangani. We didn't say you, if you want to walk 4Ks, great. If you want to try and go across grass, that was 70% of that show, fine. But we gave the information, you're going across grass, you're going across uneven surfaces, you're going up and down curbs, you're going to go etc etc. All that information's there. There's alternative pathways and we put it all on the map. So you had a map but we had the information available. So I think all of that again is like really important process of actually making sure it's not just about have I got the information to be able to book the ticket and about the, the services, how, when I arrive at the venue and all of that information and then obviously once you're in the show enjoy the performance and all of that from there. Of course. Uh, just slightly, I just please do. No, no, no. Lots of things. I told you, I'll just keep talking. <laughs> um, no, but I just remember that with that social story thing in relation to what you're talking about, um, where the venue had the capacity. So, for instance, um, Art Centre Melbourne, they they had the capacity to, to add to stuff. So, we actually ahead of time gave them our social story and they added an extra, extra bits, which were all that thing of, you know, this is. This is the front of the building, these are the lifts. This is, you will see these ticket sales here. There will be a big foyer that is not related to your show, because our show is in the studio elsewhere. I mean, didn't quite feel like that. But we basically added steps, steps to our social story, which were more about the show, so that then it became a whole experience for people mm -hmm. actually including all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And really importantly, if it's not in an established, if you're doing a built venue, which we do quite a lot of those things, we build a site and then put back down again or in a place that maybe is not normally used that's where those things really are important because maybe people aren't used to going to who's ever tried to go to CIA studios <laughs> like anyone like that place unless you know where you're going it's yeah, really hard to find yeah. um, and so those kind of bits of information are just so critical or maybe the entry isn't actually the entry um, and 
and that kind of just basic information is just so important. And then, yeah, especially if you've got a built venue or you can only access it from one street and not a different one, or there's a specific drop-off pickup zone, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's just that. Yeah, the other thing about that too, when you're planning that sort of stuff, if you're doing site-specific work or working odd venues and stuff, it's always worth thinking about in terms of you know people terms of universal access rather than having to bring say the person that needs wheelchair access through some separate weird ass side you know <laughs> servants <laughs> you know what I'm talking about <laughs> but rather than bring them through the servants entrance at the back or saying maybe you might think about the whole audience accesses by that way so you have yes exactly and yes. sorry to interrupt yeah. you but as Rachel said yeah so Claire Cunningham um, who was an artist for the festival a few years ago she actually very clearly said to us, and this was in her tech writer, everyone has to enter the same way. Absolutely everyone. So if the entry is upstairs, then everyone is going up the ramp, or everyone's going up the um, alternative entry, as you may say, there's an alternative entry. So we, that was so important and critical to her work. Um, and yeah, we were in Hall. We built a very large ramp for everyone to then enter the same way into that hall. Yeah, this is something Bruno kind of weird and I was thinking yeah, about talking about uh, ways to use segregated access. Mm -hmm. My mind is very as well, like there's usually a wheelchair spot. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I find that it's uncomfortable. You know, like I would prefer to find my own spot, but I also know that practically speaking, it's difficult to have also come down to whether it's again a built environment or it's a seating bank that you have no control over like in a theatre. Um, for example when we do events where we're putting the seating in, we did shows under the whaling of the WA Museum we actually said well we can move, remove seats, they're removable that was easy enough to then say you choose yourself, we will then make that work for you. Um, for Slow Burn Together this year at His Majesty's we actually um, brought the orchestra pit up and we ramped, and we put the wheelchair seats in the centre because we didn't have those first three rows. So we had the orchestra pit there, we just made that the wheelchair the wheelchair seats or because on the side you couldn't see the show. So the show was very it had a very narrow focus. So the seating was just down the straight down the guts. And if you were sitting in the standardised wheelchair seats of His Majesty's Theatre, you couldn't see. So we went, well, how are we going to change that? We don't want to then put someone sitting, you know, off to the side and then we actually then work with the venues. So there's always those options again, working with the venues, but obviously understanding the limitations of a seat, set seating bank that cannot be removed, but versus if you've completely got complete control, 100% control of your venue, then you have that ability to make it more flexible and you don't have a standardised seat. Sorry, question. No, sorry, it's just like, I guess kind of the biggest takeaway from all of that is just to make sure, like, the, and, and then yeah. um, just make sure that it's accessibility is a proactive thought and not a retroactive. Perfect, and that would summarise it perfectly. And also, you know, and just thinking about it, it shouldn't be, an, it should never be an afterthought or an add-on or like, oh, it, if you've got it in your forethought at the beginning, and then I guess as you're developing the work or choosing a venue, do you choose? a venue that already has assisted listening, already is wheelchair accessible, or do you choose the venue that you've got to then build a letting? Well, that could be half your budget going into retrofitting that venue, or do you just choose the venue with the right with the services 
Um, and you know, we can look at that. Does that venue have accessible toilets? Do they have, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? And that can be your choice. And maybe you can't make that choice. Maybe that choice is made for you. But if you could make that choice, then that could be also what you're looking at, and that can help dictate what you're doing and what venue you choose. Uh, we could, there's just so much information oh, sorry. to cover. No, no, not at all. Um, we gave you a lot of questions. <laughs> so we won't We're still on question one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think uh, what I'm really keen to in this session, I guess, is now get back down to the kind of the, the meat, the others like me who don't have professional Um And I, I think a little bit, I'm sorry, that this came from the
very, that's not that hard, it's not costly to do in your, in your ticketing to have an extra form that people can optionally um, give you, uh, fill in for you so that then you know to accommodate them. And as um, Bill was saying, I think one of the nicest things for us is when people say thank you for seeing me, thank you for seeing my child, because so often people are discounted, you know, that's what you know in terms of universal access to, you know, even if it just means, yeah, you're welcome to our show, but you have to come through the back door. Already that's setting you apart. And I think that's the thing about universal access, we understand it in building terms, you know, everyone should be able to access this building, but you can build that into universal access to your show, your cultural experience, whatever you like. So it's very important, profile, I'm just trying to think of one other. Just going to jump in that way of thinking for a moment. So again, we had a patron for our literature program who was a bit hard of hearing, and she just said, "Can you seat me some directly in front of the speaker?" Yeah. Like as in the sound speaker, not the person speaking. Always confusing. But you know, like that was all she asked. Can you just? And she sent me all her sessions she was going to. She knew to just go identify herself to the front of house because it was all GA. And we just said, "Great, we just put a reserve seat." And she that's she had an amazing time. That was. And that just made it for her, that all we did was made sure she had a seat that meant she was sitting directly in front of the speaker so she could hear it clearer. Yeah. And that's so simple, did not cost yeah. us anything, really did not take a lot of time, but changed someone's experience. Yeah. So same thing in terms of having worked with Sensorium, when I'm not getting profiles for an entire show, I've said, um, in particular when I'm on tour for new owner, I've gone up to front of house and been like, hey, if you notice anybody who's coming in who is vision impaired, feel free to ask them, like, because the other thing is, when you're a performer in that space, you don't you don't meet and greet the audience necessarily. I mean, in New Orleans, we do Olympics, we stand up front for the start. Um, but that that your front of house is your, is, is your porthole in, mm. into that. Um, and so then I had front of house come back and be like, actually, we've got a school coming. We just realised they've brought, um, they've brought, like, effectively the special ed, not a great word, but they've brought, like, that section of the school. Um, and I was like, great, so do they want to come in and be seated first? And she was like, I don't know, maybe they do. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, knowing to ask that, and then they all came and sat in and we introduced them one-on-one with the puppets meant that they, then once the puppets were in the show and everybody else had entered, they actually could engage with the show. Mm. Um, but in front of, I'm not going to pick it up because I'm not out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and in front of house, okay. staff members are the casuals in, mm. in an organisation who don't get to have these conversations up with programming and access and so making sure that the touch points, they're the ones on the yeah. ground in the foyer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I have yeah. to say, because I was at Mandra when I worked there, it was really hard to grab this profiles from the phone bookings and the box office mm. just flipped out at that workload actually yeah. and I had real, we no, had we had real We problems. learned from that one actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At, this time. at your expense, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but one thing we did for um, my robot actually was that the school called us up and just said, oh, we've got a, uh, a child with Down syndrome. And, and I said, so they want a tactile tour? And yeah. they're like, yeah, that would be great. And that child just felt so special. So like, mm. I was just thinking tactile tours doesn't even need to be for vision impaired. It can no. actually just be another way of calming people and having that little bit of extra space <coughs> and time. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing I was about to say. Um, the thing, the big learning for us earlier on, particularly 
Well, it is all formula, but I think with children, it's kind of counterintuitive in to what you would normally do, in that normally we keep all our surprises up our sleeves and we want to have these special moments that are unexpected and, and magic, things like that. And you can still have that in theatre, but this, this idea that actually I can signal and signpost things ahead of time. Um, and so sometimes actually people are familiar with our form, they'll come to us and like peers and PUSSs and stuff. And they'll just be a bit perplexed by how repetitive some elements can be or how, how, um, how basic some language can be or how, how signposted things are because they're like, oh, well, we're, you know, we're special theatre makers, we're not going to signpost everything we do. Um, you know, we don't need to wear our dramaturgy on our sleeves. But maybe you do, or in some ways you can. And that's specifically we're designing for that audience. But even if you're not necessarily just, just include them, that kind of stuff, that idea of a tactile tour or a, or a um, yeah, just to familiarise yourself with with the show, yeah. with the environment. Yeah, maybe and they shouldn't be called tactile tours, actually. Maybe they're just about familiarisation yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. experiences or something like that. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I was going to say, you know, I'm just thinking about like sort of hacks, I guess, really, for, for people without resources. And, and, you know, invariably if you're doing independent theatre, any night of the show, you will have people attached to the show in the audience who are, you know, creatives who are working on the show. Chances are, if someone needs an audio description, we, we literally have had that where we um, we went to school again fairly early on. It's actually uh, Sydney did us, they got us to do workshops, outreach workshops at the schools the week before, and then they all came to the opera house later. But um, uh, like the following week. But by then they'd met us all and met all the characters and had all these workshops. But um, I haven't had any sleep. Um, COVID jab yesterday, it kind of made me up to stay awake all night. So, um, so I'm more yabbery than usual. Um, uh, the, the point I was going to make about that, we've gone to, oh yeah, so um, we, we found ourselves in this situation that hadn't really briefed us properly. We thought there was some vision, some kids with vision impairment at the school. It turned out they all have vision impairment. And so we just would sort of like kind of stretch the show here and there to be able to just get in there amongst them and let them know what was going on, as well as bring them things. Oh, now you can't touch puppets, now you're touching things and doing things along the way, and that's part of it. Um, but we've actually got to that point where we allow for a bit of audio description within it. And I'm just thinking, when I'm thinking about hacks, you could, if with all these creatives in this area, we see in the blue room an audience that night, you can actually say, okay, this person has said they would like some form of audio description. And if you let, as I said before, the rest of the audience know that that's what that much on that row is going to be about, then sit your creative next to that person and they can just tell them what's going on. Because it's not about a big virtuosic performance, it's literally going, okay, now she's about to spill the bucket over the person's head or whatever. And you know, she looks really uh, distressed at what he's saying or whatever, those kind of things. And just enough. Because the rest of it, there's enough there in what's happening for people to be, you know. And I'm not saying, I, I keep feeling like, I don't want to sound like we're kind of doing lazy versions of things. I think we need to aim high, but I think also there are hacks that can work. And it really is just about coming from a, a space of accessibility. How do I make this work for you? How best, how can I maximise your, your experience? I was talking to Grace King, who mm -hmm. is on the day, um, the other day, and um, also talking about like 
pre-recorded audio description and the idea that some is better than none. Mm. So like, if you can give some, like that's that's going to make that experience immediately better than nothing. Yeah. Um, and I was talking about it specifically because uh, I'm really keen. Neona, which is a show that I tour with, has previously had audio description, but because while the artist might be really keen for that, not every venue or presenter can seem to do it. And so the idea of getting a pre-recorded um, bits of that show, and particularly because that show works on a lot of animation, so it's actually fairly strictly timed. So actually it will, the likelihood that it will link up is quite high. Um, and talking about even if we can, I'm not entirely sure if QLab can do it, but if you could hack QLab to set off, so like your stage manager's like barely pressing an extra button, um, but that is just, that's just setting a cue which is setting off the next bit of audio description when the next sort of thing starts and telling you what's happening as it's doing it. Um, and, it could, and it could be as simple as telling audience members to bring their own uh, devices or earpods or like, you know, earpods, earpods, like bring their own thing. Um, she was also talking about like, you could almost theoretically do it through like, we've got so much better at this like live YouTube feeding. And so like bring your own device, bring your own headphones. We'll put an audio description through a live well, this is, so this is essentially, I mean, we've got one minute left, oh. and so I'm gonna, just going to end it, I guess, on this action-focused thing that I'm kind of so interested in. Do I have enough time to explain yeah, it? Yeah, Probably yeah, not, but yeah, so, through Perth Festival last year, because um, I was part of the lab, Tony Saar is this um, vision-impaired filmmaker who had sight and lost it, and he is really, really doing this kind of incredible creative reimagining of what audio description can be. And th through the session I had with him is where I started thinking about this. But it, there's a lot to do in the world, and so I haven't managed to get the, my faculties together to do this. But my plan, essentially, and I guess now it will include this idea of tactility touring or um, comfort, comfort moments before with the set, is to organise some training and upskilling for indies, because ind independent artists um, Tony's whole thing is that he thinks the best person to audio describe the work is the director yeah. because they have the subjective interpretation they're going for in their heads and it doesn't require an unfamiliar person to come in and spend that time familiarising but obviously there's a skill set required to know what you're meant to be pointing out and not pointing out. So my plan when I get a moment or if people are keen and other people get on board it is to get Tony, get people who have the skills and impart that to the groups of makers that are out there who have Zoom, who have been on air, and if there's a $70 subscription that we can all access on different nights, you know, that's that's nothing. So I guess that's that's the intention. Um, that's where I'd like to go. I'd love to see an all of like the festival maybe host some of this training, maybe mm -hmm. if there was a bunch of millions of artist initiatives. Tony yeah. and Mima actually produced a visual artwork um, as part of the visual art program. not on our now website but if you type in 2021 docker festival you should be able to find it on the end the visual art section um, 
conversation, which is really interesting, and talking about the role of coaching in that. And I know now we're over time, so I do apologise, but th um, Code 3 this year for Archives of Humanity, so they actually created, they got some money to do an app, but they, so they actually created, they recorded the audio description, which was done by audio describers, so people could listen on other nights, but what they also did was create a very basic, you've never been to a state theatre centre before, this is what to expect. And you actually even had Ray, you could listen to her talking to you through the whole show about what's happening in yeah. contemporary dance, which, you know, some people, you know, maybe had never seen contemporary dance before. And you actually could listen in and listen to that either before, during or after the performance. And that's something that was all pre, all of those things were pre-recorded. You could just listen to at your own time or during the performance as well. And yes, trying to time up doing AD in a dialogue heavy show may be very difficult, but if you're maybe not so dialogue heavy, it may be a lot easier to have it as a pre-record. Um, or, you know, we have that hard thing with trying to do it with a film, like how do you actually time it to start with the film starting and we did it on a film that started in silence, which was a disaster because it needed a noise at the beginning to, to cue it, um, which was, you know, it was so hard. It was just so silly, but we did it anyway. So, you know, you need that something at the beginning to, to actually start that cue. So it's just those kind of other things that's not, it could be an introduction to the venue. It could be an introduction to your show. It could be describing what is going on with your show and all of those things which you can very easily do as the performers, as the producers, as the people that know the work the best. Um, you could actually have all that presented in advance or on the night or whatever it is for your audience and having that in that information so they know they can access it in advance um, is really the key. I'm sorry.